I was coming to Lille to speak to the manager. My agent said to me, you're going to play number 10. And then I spoke to Rudy and he said, no, 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 you won't be playing number 10. <laughs> he said, uh, we have a young player, Eden Hazard. And I said, what about penalties? He said, yeah. Eden takes penalties and free kicks. And I'm like, this kid's 19. <laughs> this is, I'm not having this. Hello everybody, welcome to the Teams of Our Lives with myself and that man over there in the corner, Andy Brassel. Yes, how are you? Come into the light, Andy, come into the light. I'm always in the light. Of course you are. Uh, I'm very well, Andy. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by this team that we've got today because I don't know that much about them. Um, but I'm hoping you do, otherwise it could be quite a bad pod. Uh, today, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're going back to 2010... 2011 season in League. It's Rudy Garcia's double-winning Lille side. I mean, double-winning. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? Yeah, it it does. um, I I guess we we better set the scene um, Mm. for France in the the 21st century. Now, the start of the 21st century is mostly Lyon's century. Mm. And um, we'll get to that i'm sure in a subsequent uh episode of this and uh, i i believe um you're contractually bound to offer me that mm-hmm. so uh, i will be taking you up on it but um i think by the time we've got to 2008 and mm-hmm. leon win the double under alan Perrault, seven successive times that leon have, have won the title and you know this is something that let's bear in mind paris saint-germain haven't done in in their current qatari regime so Everyone was a, a bit sick of it. Um, the football in neutral in France was a, a bit sick of um, their quality, um, th- their competent organisation, all of those sort of things. Um, and uh, Bordeaux broke that in 2009. Then Marseille mm. win the Ligue 1 Coupe de la Ligue double, not the same as Lille, but still a double of sorts under Didier Deschamps in uh, 2010. And that's the first time that Marseille have won the title since uh, the Valenciennes scandal, um, which obviously saw them relegated from the top flight in, in 1993 and stripped of their title, though they already always held on to the Champions League, um, which is something that Marseille fans will remind you of. Now, <laughs> Lille stopping them building a dynasty in 2011 is something amazing, really. Um and it was, I guess, to an extent, um, the, the fact that Marseille couldn't quite deal with the pressure of defending their title. But it was Lille building something over a number of years that, that, that came to fruition. And I think you're quite right, Marcus, to um, call them Rudy Garcia's Lille at the beginning because he is an absolutely huge part of it. He's someone I've always found a really um, fascinating character. When you look at his CV now and he's, 
coach some of the the biggest and most interesting clubs in France. At Lyon currently um, wasn't well received um, when he arrived at Marseille, uh, when he arrived because he'd been at Marseille before. Um, so basically, when he joined Lyon, he was probably less popular than Rafa Benitez when he joined Chelsea to put it to put it in some sort of um (laughs) UK based perspective well that's the benchmark isn't it (laughs) I mean it it doesn't sound good does it no Uh, and before that he'd managed uh Lille and Saint-Etienne um he was a decent player um but he was affected quite badly by injuries and he he quit in his, his his late twenties. He played for Lille, of course. Yeah, he did, um, and um, it's one of the reasons that he went back there in in, in two thousand and eight. Um, and by then, he'd already built a good reputation because he'd done well at Le Mans, and um, he's someone who always brought a, a, a mix of cultural influences to to the party. I think that's what makes him such an interesting coach in terms of temperament in terms of tactics in terms of the way he relates to players I mean when we had our our ramble meets with um Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa recently he talked about um Rudy Garcia as a, a coach that really changed his outlook in the the, the game and um actually Zambo and Gisa said the, th- the thing about Rudy Garcia there's there's no nonsense with him like he will look you in the face and tell you exactly what he thinks, be that for for, for good or bad. And that becomes a theme over his career and <laughs> over over his time at Lille as as, as well. I think um, he's got an interesting background. Um, his uh, parental grandparents, well, his his dad was born in Spain, hence um, Garcia, and his parental grandparents were refugees to northern France from the Spanish Civil War. So he has this kind of uh, Latin football side to, to to him as well, as well as that sort of indust, industrious, um, hardworking attitude that we we associate with with that part of northern France, Nord Pas de Calais as well. So, um, and he actually grew up in in, in Ardennes. So, um, when he gets to Lille, the, the amazing thing about this double season, it almost didn't happen. Um, he arrives in two thousand and eight. Um, and he takes over from a Lille team that are well-established in the top flight by that point, um, which have made it to the Champions League under Claude Puel. And Can't forget Claude in this, Andy. Well, you, you can't, Marcus, because the sort of football that Claude Puel played was very much of the region. You know, it was... Andy, tell me about Claude Puel. Every time you see his name, it seems to be oh, and they couldn't get right to couldn't wait to get rid of him and all this. Because <laughs> it was the same here, and I just think to myself, but surely with that voice, he could charm the birds off the trees. You know, I, I that would is that not enough for fans these days? Well, it was it was never the case with Claude Puel that that Lille was sick of him. Of all the clubs that might have tired of him, Lille weren't one. You know, he, but they were seen to play boring football under him. Though. Yeah, he 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 bent the um the boundaries of what was possible there though i mean no one imagined little well, old lil who were the at, the, at the time when he yeah when when he took over um they were a yo-yo club and they were playing in a um a, a, an old athletic stadium as well um that, that, that had to move out of their ground for for redevelopment this is pre the 
Stade Pierre Malois, uh, where, where they currently play, which is very nice purpose-built facility. And, um, you know, they're playing in Villeneuve d'Ascq uh in in this like really quite inhospitable athletic stadium i remember going there on a weekend with my friends once and we all went to a, a an early evening late afternoon early evening game and it started absolutely tipping it down the game wasn't great and i remember us all this was in the puel times and i remember us all like cowering under the cusp of a hot dog van because it was the most uncovered open ground that you can possibly imagine you know it's something you could hardly build into a sort of like you know for foreboding cauldron where away teams um didn't want to come to so when puel left it was going to be really hard for Garcia to pick up the slack and and take them on anywhere because Puel had overachieved consistently and was really appreciated from that. And then Garcia has a good first season. Then he has a row with um, a quite prominent member of the board and gets fired at the start of June in, what, 2009 that would be. So um, anyway, the club aren't unanimous on this. So after a little bit of discussion, said board member gets removed and uh, Michel Sedou, uh, who is um, behind the um, the, the, the Pathé uh, film um, empire, he basically uh, approaches He's Rudy the club Garcia. president. Yeah. He's the club president. Yeah. He, he approaches Rudy Garcia and says, um, well, we didn't want to sack you. We, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> will, will you please come back? And, <laughs> and he, he said, all right then. So it's it's kind of a little bit like um, it, it reminds me a bit of Dave Bassett at Wimbledon actually when he he left for Crystal Palace <laughs> in, in the early eighties and then after four days he he realizes oh my god I've made a terrible mistake and just goes back it's it's, it's a really interesting sliding doors moment. But Andy, with this though, that uh, who sacked him? Because if the, I mean, when you say they weren't unanimous, did the club president? How did this situation happen? Because it was, um, I think it was 16 days, roughly two, two yeah. and a half weeks later that they, that they got, you know, this um, board member was removed and then Garcia was reinstated, I suppose. How did that happen then? If the club president is the one who then offers it, did he, did he sanction the, the sacking? I mean, he must have done. Well, basically, if most presidents leave um, a select couple of board members, a sporting director in charge of, the hiring and firing and that was the case and after Garcia was removed there was a lot of disquiet about it um it led to discussions um I'm trying to think who the who, who the guy was who he argued with I'm, I'll, I'll come Xavier, back to that. somebody right right okay um we'll, we'll come back to that and, and anyway um Garcia comes back and thank goodness he did because mm. you talked about Puel playing quite dull football, Puel's Lil side playing quite dull football, not even a discussion when he was mm. there because they were overachieving so much. The only time that people really start to realize that Puel's football is quite dull is when Garcia's methods start taking root. And by the time they're in this title winning season, this double winning season of 2010, 2011, People are referring to them in France as a mini Barcelona. Barcelona the North. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just Garcia's ability to convince players of his philosophy and also 
his ability to bring something else out of players in terms of um, getting them to think about the game in different ways, in terms of getting them to express themselves in different ways. It never seemed possible. And it's only retrospectively that people went, oh, yeah, maybe the football was a bit dull under Claude Puel. I, I don't think that, that diminishes his achievements there <laughs> at, at all because yeah. uh, he, he did an amazing job. But Garcia took them to the, the next level. Yeah, I, and, it, and it certainly was. I mean, in 2009-10, as you say, dubbed the Barcelona North, very entertaining side. So, entertaining side. They scored 72 goals in the league. Um, that season, outscoring even the eventual champions, Marseille. You know, so it showed you mm. that suddenly they were playing an, an attacking brand. But it's interesting, you know, when you were setting the scene with with Lille, you know, into the 21st century. Obviously, you had Lyon and, as you mentioned, Bordeaux and, and Marseille. But Lille, they were a kind of team that that, that might finish third fourth, fifth, but then they could drop down to say like 14th or something yeah. like that. You know, you never knew quite whether they were getting, they were one of the better t- sides in the league, but to give a, even more context in, uh, to the club as a whole, they won the league uh, in, in 1953-54 and they hadn't won it since. Uh, they'd won the, the the French Cup for uh, one of the, oh, I think, is it the only time in their history? One, uh, certainly very few in 1955. So the mid fifties was kind of like their uh, sort of you could say golden period. They won yeah. the league and cup double in nineteen forty six forty seven season. Basically, it's a long time ago since they'd done anything really in terms of silverware. So, and again, with that in mind, it wasn't as if they were knocking on the door in 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 the in the previous season. So this they were finishing second and taking it to the last day or anything like that. They were, as you sort of said, a little bit of a uh, a funny side in which you weren't sure what you were going to get, but you could get a European place and, and they mm. could do okay. So 2009-10, they suddenly score a lot of goals and, and, and they're doing quite well. But did anybody see this double season coming? Because it, there is sort of shades of, uh, well... I was going to say Simeone's Atletico when they first won the league, but you could you could argue that they were they're sort more of attractive. They're, they're much more attractive this side. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. Simeone's Atletico built up. Um, you, you know, mm-hmm. you think about uh, the Europa League win and the Copa yeah. del Rey win in in 2013, and uh, and you know, getting the Real Madrid monkey off their back and all that sort of stuff. I think the interesting thing to note about Lille is he talked about their heyday in the mid 50s now if you go back to then mm-hmm. Lille is a completely different city to the one it is now of course a lot of the same buildings are still there and there's still the the, the history but um Lille is a very proletarian working class northern town um what changes is Europe really because um I was talking about me and my friends um hunkering down underneath a hot dog van under that downpour. Um, We got there by Eurostar, of course. And the Eurostar opens it all up. It makes it not Lille, but Lille-Europe, European Mm. Lille. And um, that changes the feel of the city a little bit. You're getting more visitors um, from the UK, but from places all over really um you always had that belgian influence there because you know you're nearly in in belgium and in in, in terms of good beer and eating flammenkuchen and sauerkraut <laughs> and all that sort of stuff that's very and nice waffles that is very much present in in, in lille 
but this European influence, I think, opens the city up a little bit as well. And I think this side kind of clicks with that because we'll come on to the players. When you look back over this side, my goodness, this is a really, really talented side. You talked about them outscoring Marseille as the champions and that Marseille team under Deschamps was, you know, pretty exciting to to watch. And they had those high-impact players like uh, Mamadou Nyang and Mathieu Valbuena and and, and players like that. Um, But this Lille side you know, there's a real European fluency to them. And I think when you look at the cosmopolitan palette of Garcia, when you look at the way that the city is changing itself in those years and becoming a little bit more open and at the center of things, and then you add the players, it, it, it all, I think, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big melange that, 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 that turns into something Good word. Pre- pretty special. Thank you. That turns into <laughs> something pretty special. But I think as well, you've got to look at the stability. Because at the start of this season, there were no real big transfers in terms of money. They don't really mm-hmm. spend anything before the start of the season. And if you look at the opening years of Garcia, one of the big players for him, one of, one of my favourites, Michel Bastos, mm. and they sell him to Leon for an absolute fortune. Um, a fee that I think even now looks like a lot of money. They sold him for like 18 million. And that is something that funds the club going forward. And then you look at the big signing before the start of this season is a freebie, uh, Moussa So, who turns out to be absolutely brilliant for them and goes on to have a very good um, career. But, you know, no one thought at the start of this season that he could score all the all the goals that he did. 26 but, in all competitions he got. Obviously, their top scorer. It's incredible. I know. I think I think 25 of them in the, in the, in the league, actually. Yeah. So um, he made a huge contribution to this. And, um, you know, then you look at the fact that Eden Hazard is beginning to come of age. I mean, he turns 20 during the double winning season. Uh, and then you look at the um, the goalkeeper, uh, Michelandro. Then you've got um, a defence, which is uh, Debushi, uh, Beria, um, Adil Rami. You've got Kabai in midfield. You've got Florent Balmont. Idrissa Gay was there? Idrissa Gay was there as well. He he played in the the, 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 the cup final, of course, and he was, what, 2021 at the the, the, the time. And um, then the guy who's, who's the kingpin, really, the guy who is the fulcrum of it all on and off the field, uh, Rio Mavuba, who famously was, um, he came up through the Bordeaux Academy, but he, he was born at sea um, when his his parents um, were coming over from um, Angola, I think it was. And uh, yeah, he, he, was, he, he was born on the boat. On, Incredible. On, on, on the way to France. What happens uh, there? Does he get the French passport as he arrives? Or what yeah. How does it? Uh, yes. Is that how it works? Yes, uh, he, he did. That's not always how it works, but it's how it worked on on, on this occasion. Does he form a team? You know, like sort of an uh, Atlantic Ocean, suddenly, <laughs> a, a, you know, or whatever, it, wherever. Some sort it, of piratical <laughs> eleven. <laughs> yeah, that's that, intriguing. That, great. That. But it's 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 funny when you think of uh, what an unusual situation to be born in. Mm. But he's he's the bedrock. He's stability. He not only keeps it all ticking on the pitch by being a defensive midfielder who is always in the right spot, who never has to dive into any mad tackles Mm. because his positioning is so good, who's not a six foot two cupboard of a defensive midfielder, Mm -hmm. but 
I guess he's more from the Mascherano end of the market. Yeah. Someone who um, intercepts, who covers spaces really well, um, who plays smart balls um, to either side of him. And he's someone as well who, in the dressing room, um, always speaks up for the players, who always communicates well with the management, who is everyone's mate. And he is really the foundation from, from which this team is built, in my opinion. Hmm. But have we mentioned Jovino? I don't think we have, actually, have we? Well, because he was in there as well. I mean, you look at this side, there are a number of names. We've already mentioned most of them that uh, fans of the Premier League would would know as well. They also loaned out Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to Milan at the start of that season as well. Yeah, uh, imagine. Who would have thought? But yes, Andy, I mean, they won the league by eight points. Mm. Again, I can't stress that this is a side who hadn't won the league since the 50s and a side who weren't regularly finishing sort of second or even third. This this it just sort of seems to come out of nowhere. Well, not nowhere, nowhere, like Leicester City. That's particularly uh, profound in that kind of way. But it, it, at the start of the season, I just I wouldn't imagine many people were tipping them for the league. No, and I think the remarkable thing is when you look at the whole league campaign as, as a whole, when I, when I was looking at the results, refreshing my memory on the results mm. of this season, they drew the first four games of the season. Well, and they also lost fairly early on mm. to uh, Marseille, and and Leon themselves, I think. I mean, I think they lost both games sort of three one back to back, which was uh, I'm trying to think now when was that around if I could remember correctly. Sort of, uh, it was the first half of the season. Yeah, and you would think to yourself, well, you know, again the way it kind of pans out, and to, and to win a to win the cup as well, they beat PSG in the final uh, with a last minute winner by Ludovic Abraniak. Who yes. um, had become had been a huge player for them and, and wasn't a first choice for the, for them by that point, but, mm-hmm. but came on and got the got the winner in the the, the final, and it's it's a, it's amazing really because I think you look at the point of the season where it all started to become possible. I think you go back to probably probably the start of March really, because um, I mean from. Like February onwards, they lost one game mm. in, in in the league. I mean, they went on quite a run. You talked about Leicester, and it was that kind of relentless run, although mm. with less one nils because they're banging <laughs> in a lot of goals al- al- yeah, along yeah. the way. But I think you go back to the start of March and they play um, Leon, uh, who are obviously one of the contenders for the the, the, the title, and had spent mm. quite a lot of money in the summer of uh, two thousand and nine. Um, they and, and of course have bought Yain Gorkuf at the beginning of this season as well, and they, they play them at Villeneuve d'Ascq. Um, they go one nil up early on Lille, and then uh, Kim Shellstrom equalises for for, for Lille, and they come back into the game, and it is such a bruising, physically exacting game, and they that they keep their side up. You know, they 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 get the draw out of it. I think after that, you think well, they've they've, they've they've done well to get a point out of that because mm-hmm. it was just such an intense game, which either team could have won. Um, but they, they showed that they're, you know, genuinely competing with sides that are much more money than them because, you know, the, the amount that, as I said, Leon, um, by that point under Claude Puel spent an absolute fortune on players. There he is again. Uh, uh, yeah, there he is again. <laughs> that, that, that you can keep up with them. That's very impressive. And then the following week, they go to Marseille, beat them with a last-minute goal by Pierre-Alain Fro, which is a v- 
well, it indicates two things, actually. You think of the manner of the goal, and they stretch the pitch really well and create the goal from across into the box and throw comes to the near post and flicks it in. It's a really artful finish. And he's one of those underrated French players, Pierre-Alain Froe, in that he's probably just, you'd say just below elite, in that he was very, very good for Socho, made very good contributions for Lyon and Lille without ever making himself totally indispensable, but such a smart forward. You know, you'd absolutely kill to have him in your five-a-side team. There's there's mm-hmm. no question about it. And that throw goal, I think, changes it all. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's the moment that they go beat the champions on their own patch on a big game on a Sunday night in a very intimidating atmosphere, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's like they've shown not just that they can, you know, to be the best you can beat the best, you know, to be the best you have to beat the best, mm-hmm. but to have the balls to go after the game and win it, you know, in the mouth of the lion. in a a huge match I think that says a lot about them it says a lot about Garcia and a lot about the way that that they went and and just took what they they wanted to get really indeed and as I say they they produced this season which is you could argue the best season ever in, in the history of the club and you know, the following season they finished third oddly Montpellier win the league I think for the first time in their history and then you then suddenly Paris Saint-Germain really get their claws into it and they just start cleaning up with the only exception being when Monaco um, won the league, of course. And, and again, just to, to put it in that kind of context, it seems sort of even more likely. I mean, they, Lille were nearly relegated in 2018. Then they finished second in 2019. And they're currently top of Ligue 1 at the time of recording yeah. as, we, as we are in sort of mid-March. And again, it's that side where you're not quite sure what you're going to get, but certainly this wasn't expected, this this title-winning side. And when we spoke about Rafa Benitez's Valencia, a number of those players will love him because perhaps their only winner's medals will have come under Benitez. And you could say the same for, for some of these players with, with Rudy Garcia. 100%. 100%. And I think what was the most notable thing on that run-in where they start winning and winning and winning is how the club developed this kind of de facto dress code. And Rudy Garcia, he was always dressed like a Bond villain on the touchline. <laughs> he had like a, a, a sort of grey roll neck yeah. and a blazer over the top. And all of a sudden, Rio Mavuba starts wearing a blazer <laughs> and a roll neck to the games. Eden Hazard starts wearing mm. a blazer and a roll neck to all the games. And before Don't you... French- don't all French people wear roll necks? This is yeah. Maybe you got a point, Marcus. <laughs> uh, but by uh, it, it sort of becomes something that it becomes their match day uniform. Mm. It's, it's extraordinary, but it shows how you know close they were to Garcia. How Garcia got in their heads with his frankness, really, and his his honesty, as as we were saying earlier. But this is the season as well where Eden Hazard goes from promising young player to. Mm absolute boss i mean his best season at lille is the season after and his his final season at lille um in 2011 2012 is amazing and especially that bit in spring when they end up playing him as a center forward and all of a sudden he just absolutely takes off i mean it's always quite surprising to me that he never 
played as a centre forward that much for Chelsea. He might have played the odd game as as, as a false nine, if you like. Um, but it, honestly, he was absolutely intenable in in that period. And you know, you go back and you have hints of that in the title winning season, but he never quite gets to that point. And I think when, as you say, contextualize it with what Paris Saint-Germain have, have, have done since, it's, it's really interesting because not only did they beat Paris in the cup final, they won the title at the Parc de France with that 2-2 draw on the on, on the penultimate game, even even if they end up winning winning the title by more points in the in the end because of the way the fixtures fell. Um but it was, yeah, it was it was something really, really incredible. And I think the fact that so many of these players went on to do well afterwards, and I think, as you say, it was the launch pad for Kabai and Azar himself, but even players like Adil Rami. I mean, Rami mm-hmm. went off to play for, for Milan and Valencia after this, played in Turkey for a bit. He had quite an interesting cosmopolitan career. He was in the team that won the um well, it was in the squad that won the won the World Cup. He was kind of France's David May in 2018 in Russia, wasn't he? <laughs> but also it changed the way that people looked at Lille. I mean, we talked about the changing image of mm-hmm. of, of the city and the Europeanization of it and all that sort of stuff. But you look at the players that they signed the season after they win the title. Dimitri Payet comes. Joe Cole joins on loan. Come on. Uh, exactly. I mean, that is the dictionary definition of a lovely old job, isn't it, Marcus? <laughs> and, you know, you think these these players are opened up to the possibilities of what before that was considered quite an unfashionable club because mm. Garcia made them sexy. Yes, very, very sexy indeed. And that's what we're all about on the teams of our lives, is sexiness. <laughs> um, Andy, it's been a pleasure as always talking to you about this little side that I, I didn't know that much about really. I'm sure some of our listeners uh, not to do them a disservice, but I'm sure maybe they didn't know as much. But you have enlightened us greatly today, good sir. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. See you next week, everybody, for another great side. They're a team of our life, nonetheless. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creator Network.